We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to another live Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Dropping our, what, third or fourth live buzz of the week? Lots of buzz. Plenty to talk about. Nets are busy, still making moves. Signed Wilson Chandler yesterday. Before we get into that, quick reminder, you can check us out. iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, Google Podcasts, and obviously YouTube. But, Jack, let's get into it. Wilson Chandler, veteran minimum yesterday. Very nice signing. Gives him some depth at the forward position. A guy who's been banged up the last couple seasons. What do you like about the signing? What don't you like? Uh, I like. I don't think there's much not to like about it, Nick. I, I think that if you're going to guide the veteran minimum you know, for a position of need, um, obviously he doesn't necessarily solve the power forward issues, but I think he certainly helps them. Um, you know, he's a guy that can shoot the three ball, create a shot a little bit, <clears throat> provide a little bit of defense, has some athleticism. <clears throat> obviously, isn't. You know, the, the, in his prime of his career, obviously now uh, in his age 32 season coming forward. But for the last three seasons, according to, to basketball reference, he's played 80 in 2018-19. Uh, in total, he played 81% uh, of his time at the power forward position, which just fits perfectly for the Brooklyn Nets uh, and, and what we are trying to do. <clears throat> you know, I think he's a nice little vet presence as well. Um, I think it just adds to the depth of our roster that we've already got. Yeah, he's an aggressive dude. Like, he gives you a little bit more of, uh, people mentioned on Twitter, a little bit more of a dog on the roster. Also another member of Rock Nation. So it's like the Nets have Kyrie, Karis LeVert, Wilson Chandler now. Something to just think about. And like you said, there's really not much not to like because veteran minimum. Like, worst case, it doesn't work out. You're paying him a minimum money. It's not like he's a long-term contract or anything like that. And he's a guy I look at. Reminds me somewhat to Damari Carroll when he came to the Nets, you know, kind of looked down upon, like had best years behind him. But I think Wilson Chandler has really struggled to get healthy. Like if you look at his injury report for the last couple of seasons, you know, he's dealing with a hip injury, dealing with a quad injury, dealing with a hamstring injury. Same thing really happened to Mari in Toronto. I could see Wilson Chandler coming to Brooklyn and playing some good basketball that people didn't really necessarily expect. 
And at most, he's probably going to be a backup four or a backup three, just kind of versatile player to put between those two positions. I think you got to really like the move. And I think you do as well. And SSV has asked, what's the power forward <clears throat> depth chart look like without KD? Uh, it's Toyin Prince, Rodion Skurutz, and Wilson Chandler. <clears throat> Obviously, all those guys can play the three as well. So they're, um, they're quite interchangeable. Uh, I think lineups and matchups will depend. And I think to have all those guys, you know, fighting it out to an extent, all of them have something to prove. You know, Wilson Chandler, probably still a capable player in the NBA, hopefully get a, a nice little mini contract if he can, you know, after this season. You know, Rodion Sakura is still trying to prove himself as an NBA caliber player. Uh, and Torian Prince uh, heading into restricted free agency going into next season. So all these guys will have different motivations. Uh, and I think that they can all add a different sort of skill set to the team that I think, you know, something that we, you know, if you look at, you know, Damari Carroll sort of being our best sort of power forward last season, now I've got a little bit of switchability and, and depth in that sort of position. You know, we go three deep uh, in that wing position. It certainly adds something. And I think as well, Carroll Savert will play something at the three, not the four. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to have a bit of depth and interchangeability. Yeah, I think if you look at the Nets roster, you really got to split it up between like guards, forwards and centers. You know, the yeah. clear cut guards, you're looking at Kyrie, Spencer Dewey, Karis Savert. Theo Pinson, if he's back, which seems very likely. Garrett Temple can play some minutes at guard. I think he can also play some minutes at small forward. And like you mentioned, Joe Harris will play some minutes at guard, also play some minutes at small forward. Same thing with Musa. But then you look at Torian Prince, Rodion's, uh, Wilson Chandler, like you mentioned, really interchangeable between that three and four. And that's something I really love with the current NBA because you're dealing with a lot of guys with size. Just having Torian Prince, another more active body than a Damari Carroll, who's obviously getting up there in age, I think can really benefit the Nets. And then it's, you know, we don't really know if Nick Claxton's going to see many minutes. I wouldn't be completely surprised if we saw some minutes at the four for him as well. Yeah, I think Summer League will certainly be an indication of what we see from him there. But I uh, already got a couple of questions uh, in the chat as well from Jorge uh, VV Rod has a couple of questions. What improvements are you anticipating from Kurutz? I think number one, we're looking to get more consistent with his jump shot. You know, get obviously bigger. You know, we saw him live. He's a skinny dude. He's a feisty dude, but he's still skinny to put on a little bit more size, especially he's going to be at the four position. Getting a little bit smarter with some of those stupid fouls we've seen in the past. And then understanding how to drive to the rim. We know he has that possibility. He has that quick step. Nice with that scoop layup. There was times where people kind of caught on. So maybe adding another move around there. Then also I think uh, there was a couple times where he missed dunks. Kind of working on that ability. And I think that'll come with just getting physically stronger. I think the two things for me that really stick out are getting physically stronger and improving that jumper. And I guess the third one would be just becoming a better defensive player from not even as a physical perspective, more so from a mental perspective. Yeah, I think you stole literally every point that I was going to make. But I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for not to say defense. And I'm like, oh, maybe I could say defense here. And then you ended with it. But yeah, I think that all those points, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head. But I think defensively, we saw quite a bit from him last season. You know, we saw him uh, go up against, you know, sometimes the opposition's best player. You know, he made Blake Griffin, you know, really, really angry. He was really fighting really <laughs> in his head a little bit. Uh, I think he's got some great athleticism, which allows him to be a little bit switchable and play on smaller guys as well. Uh, and I think that the strength will only allow him to bang a little bit more with some of those power forwards uh, for longer periods of time, like Blake Griffin, like these sort of dudes uh, who have some certain size about them. And I think that when you're looking at teams, the top two teams in the, the Eastern Conference, you know, the, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks, both of those teams have uh, size in spades. So we're going to need a guy like Rodions, who is, who is tall, you know, six foot nine-ish, um, as is Wilson Chandler. But Wilson Chandler has that frame to sort of bang a little bit. Uh, and that's not to say that, you know, we would we want Rodion to lose his speed, to lose his craftiness. Uh, I think that he's going to be really nice offensively. What we saw were the strengths of his was the fact that he was able to, 
you know, develop a really nice chemistry with D'Angelo Russell and, and his cutting ability was rewarded from Kyrie Irving. So I think offensively, that three-point shot, like you mentioned, is going to be incredibly important. But defensively, I'm looking forward to what he can become because for us last season, there were there were points throughout where he was like that third best defensive player outside of Karis Levert, you know, Ed Davis and Jared Allen, sort of that one uh, ace sort of defensive force. Uh, but then Rodion's quick showed plenty on that end of the floor. Yeah, he was like almost a defensive playmaker because he would make plays defensively. He wouldn't necessarily be super consistent. But like you mentioned, the steals, the steal and slam, one of our favorite plays. We kind of talked about this on a previous show. Kyrie Irving might be more into getting the fast break going, which I think will benefit Rodion's because he's very fast. And I think he's kind of like low-key fast, so people don't necessarily anticipate it. So that'd be interesting. Also think, you know, adding more muscle will help him improve as a rebounder, like you mentioned. And then even one other team that obviously has good forwards, and that'd be the Raptors if they re-sign Kawhi. Dealing with Siakam and Kawhi, you want to have good forwards that can defend. So I think, you know, he he just needs to build on being more of a complementary player with the pieces they have around there. Obviously, he's going to be working with some of the best players in the league now being Kevin Durant. Yeah, exactly. And another question from Jorge V-Rod. What will uh, Garrett Temple's role be? Obviously, we're forecasting a little bit forward, but, um, you know, the roster is nearly set in stone, Nick, and we'll chat a little bit about it. Uh, What do you see uh, GT's role being? Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's coming off the bench. He's a guy that we kind of mentioned could come in that two, three, maybe, you know, in an emergency situation, play a little bit of the one. He's a guy that can knock down the three ball, play solid defense. He's just like a good role player. He's been around the league for a while for a reason. He's not, you know, flashy, doesn't do anything crazy, but he's a guy that's going to help you win games. And like we talked about, he's also a solid veteran presence. And he's been getting a good amount of love from some of the more in-depth NBA podcasts that are low-key, very nice signing. And I believe the second year of his contract's a team option. Yeah, which uh, I think adds even more value to it for from the Brooklyn Nets perspective. You know, for a guy to be in the league, you know, for a decade, um, and despite the fact, you know, not averaging over 10 points at any sort of stage, you know, not necessarily being you know, elite in any point of his career. And, you know, the highest minute range he averaged was in Sacramento when he averaged 26.6 minutes. Um, I, I think that if he can hit that three ball at a consistent rate, you know, he'll get even more minutes. I think that's going to be the key for him getting, you know, those sort of spare minutes, those sort of, you know, junk time minutes and getting regular rotation minutes. You know, I think his injury insurance as well. Uh, I think that obviously we've seen, you know, ever since Coach Kenny and, and Sean Marks took over this franchise, they like to have depth because they understand the grind of the regular season. They don't want to work their guys too hard to the bone, uh, especially when you guys, you have older guys like Garrett Temple. You have guys with injury history like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Uh, so just to have these guys at the ready, uh, and, and being ready to step up and buy into that team mentality, uh, I think is going to be incredibly beneficial. And, you know, to if you hear things about Garrett Temple, like you sort of mentioned, Nick, they're generally true. You know, uh, when you hear stuff about, you know, these sort of vet locker room guys, you know, I think Garrett Temple is going to add something. Um, I don't think it's going to be, he's going to be the, the fulcrum to the offense, but there'll be times where he'll hit some crucial three-point shots for us and, and provide us with some veteran leadership and some calmness that we sort of saw from a guys like Damari Carroll and Jared Dudley. Be able to just, you know, have that experience and, and be around the ways, know how the NBA works. Because uh, outside of Kyrie Irving, because, you know, Kevin Durant ain't going to be playing much, if at all, next season. We need that sort of leadership and experience on the court because a lot of the time that's when we're at our best. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think the great point you brought up is, like, Kyrie's going to rest some games. Like, that's what he wants. That's what the Nets probably want moving forward, especially on the four-year deal. Having a guy like Garrett Temple that can give you some backup guard minutes when you are going to probably end up starting Spencer Dinwiddie makes a lot of sense. And I think he's a guy that Kenny's going to really like because, he, like you mentioned, he's been around the league so long. And then it's also like he played in bad situations and you've never heard him complain. Like he was on the Kings and he didn't cry about it. 
Yeah, and we know a lot of people like to cry when they're on the Kangs. Kangs going to Kang. But uh, what are we getting to next, my dude? I guess we can kind of look through the roster a little bit just to get an idea because I know a lot of people are wondering, like, how it's laying out. We got point guard position. We obviously got Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dewoody, and Jalen Hands. I think we both would anticipate Jalen Hands probably being on a two-way contract. Yeah, uh, I think that that seems likely. Him, Theo Pinson, it, it seems um, to be one of those sort of guys. 100%. And then, obviously, shooting guard, we just talked about Garrett Temple. Looks like Karis Avert's going to start there. And then we got Theo Pinson. Then the small forward spot is really interesting because they have Torian Prince listed as small forward. And then I was looking at Torian Prince's uh, Twitter profile, and he has listed Brooklyn Nets small forward. So it's interesting if he really wants mm. to play that position or, you know, obviously coaching staff is going to have the final say. But who do you think is going to start at that three right now if you had to make a guess? Do you think Joe Harris starts or they bring him off the bench? Obviously, he's had success in both roles. Well, I think if you're going with Joe Harris over, you know, Rodham's Kouritz, Torian Prince, I think you probably do because he knows Coach Kenny's system, at least for the time being. And you need that spacing on the floor. And Torian Prince provides that too. So I'll probably start Joe Harris and Torian Prince. <clears throat> you know, just because you're listed as a small forward doesn't mean that you necessarily play it. Yeah. You know, LeBron James loves playing small forward, even though he's one of the best power forwards of all time. Um, I'd bring, I've been Rodion's off the bench right now, um, but th- that's just my opinion. I think that's a really good uh, idea, Jack, because I like the spacing. Prince gives you a little bit more consistent three-point ball. And then, obviously, you know, he has potential. We want him to improve. Rion's the energy he brings can definitely give you a hit-off to, you know, six-minute start to the game. Uh, Now, looking at some of the – go for it. Drop him in. Yeah, we've got plenty of questions uh, jumping in. So um, if Jared Allen doesn't see significant improvement from last year, could DeAndre Jordan from start? Uh, That's from Adrian Dyson, which I guess addresses the question uh, at the center position. Yeah, I think uh, we kind of talked about this on the last show a little bit. There's a popular discussion on Nets Twitter, on a lot of Twitter. I wouldn't be surprised if DeAndre starts, but I still think Jared Allen is going to get the starter minutes. If I was probably – Betting, I would say Jared Allen is definitely going to have more minutes in almost all the games, and there'll be a couple situations where either Jared Allen gets in foul trouble or he's a little fatigued or he's battling one of the bigger centers in the league. Yeah, and I think that if you're looking at it just objectively speaking, Jared Allen's a better player than DeAndre Jordan yeah. right now. Uh, to say DeAndre, DeAndre has a little bit to prove almost. I think, yeah, I think that that's a good point as well. So I think that in that sort of sense, you know, you can maybe look to DeAndre Jordan being an Ed Davis top. I think he'll probably want to prove that little bit more. Um, but I think that Jared Allen is a better player right now. Uh, another question from Adrian Dyson. What do we see from Janan Musa next season? That's a great question. I just wanted to throw one more point at DeAndre Jordan. Another guy who I think is going to benefit from the Nets performance team. Obviously, he's you know over 30, or he might be right at 30. You, know, you want to see him get his body right and feel good, and I think there'll be extra motivation coming from playing with his friends, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. I think that kind of makes you want to play a little bit better when you're playing with your friends. On the Musa front, I really have no idea. He's probably the player that I'm most excited to see in Summer League because even there might not be room for him in the rotation, but if he plays really well, he could kind of help build up his value as a trade chip for the Nets moving into the season. Yeah, I think that John Musa as a trade chip is an interesting sort of proposition. You know, I think that the Bradley Beal thing um, is getting some minor traction on just Twitter in general, he seems to be just the, the, the trade piece that everyone uh, is looking at. But, you know, Janan Musa proved things uh, in spurts in the G League. He proved himself that I think that he can be an NBA player uh, purely versing, you know, against those sort of second-string guys uh, out in Long Island. 
Um, I, I think that it's going to be hard for him to crack the rotation. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to sort of see, oh, because we saw Sean Marks with the, dealing with DeAndre Russell almost through goodwill and the, the first round pick get into the destination in Golden State, get him paid at the same time. Um, so I don't see his role being you know huge at this stage, but he provides us depth. Uh, he provides us with insurance. Um, so I'm not sure how a great Janan Musa's role is going to be, uh, but he has a lot of talent, and, and I'm, I'm sure that like Adrian, uh, plenty of fans will be you know eager to see him prove it on the court in an NBA uniform. I think the big thing for him is going to be defense. We saw a lot of the offensive skill set in Long Island, and some of that will definitely carry over. A very good ball handler for his size. He can actually play a little bit of the point guard position, which if the Nets do not sign a third point guard, he could always be emergency backup type of guy to have out there. And his jumper looks pretty nice. Like worst case scenario, somewhere else to get injured, maybe he turns up to a spot-up guy in the Nets where they kind of use him in that role. But at his size, which was a big concern for us last season, can he play defense at the NBA level? And that's something that you really need. Oh, absolutely. I think in the regular season, you know, it matters that little bit less. Um, but speaking of that third string point guard, SSV's jumped in. Could Pinson be that third string point guard? I believe the Nets do view him as a point guard. I think they view him as almost as like one of those combo players that can play yeah. guard, shooting guard, small forward, kind of positionless. There's no guarantee he's back. I think it's very likely. I also wouldn't rule out the Nets signing another backup point guard. You and I have kind of chatted about it. You brought up guys like Jose Calderon. I mentioned a guy like Quinn Cook. I think Quinn Cook obviously has the ties to Kevin Durant. Jose Calderon has been around the league for seems like 20 years. So I think any type of uh, vet like that could also be a possibility too. Yeah, I think that uh, – I mean, we saw Theo prove it in, in, in certain points throughout the season. I think that he's a nice uh, presence to sort of have. I think that he, he's shown that he's a capable NBA player. I'm pretty sure he played against Milwaukee, was it, last season? Yeah, he played a couple games. He played a game against Boston. He had a stretch where there was a lot of guys banged up where he really uh, – Kenny had to play him. I think one thing you really like about Theo, too, is coming into the NBA slash G League, no three-point shot. He proved last year he can knock down a three-ball. Yeah, he certainly did. Um, and I think that that's the important thing in this sort of uh, – especially if you're some sort of guard on, on the Brooklyn Nets system – Crimson striker, Nick, are we okay locker presence-wise with Dudley, Carroll, and Rondé, Hollis, Jefferson gone? I think that that's one thing with that sort of last roster spot or, or however you sort of work it. I mean, we'll chat about it a little bit, but this sort of talk, we, we can sort of lead it into that for an, to an extent as well. Um, do we need a, a Vince Carter, a Jamal Crawford, a Jose Calderon um, to sort of provide that locker room stability if it's needed? I think it's something you definitely consider. I think I've heard talk about DeAndre almost being a really good locker room guy to help kind of alleviate some of the pressure that's going to go on there. There was a report by Scoop B. Obviously, I don't know how much you believe his reports that the Nets had interest in Jamal Crawford, which would make sense if they're looking for another another uh, locker room guy. We've chatted about it. We'd love to see Vince back in a Nets uniform, especially for his last year. So I think it's a possibility. I think it just kind of depends on what they're looking at at that, that minimum spot. Do they think they need another player on the roster? that, you know, they need to play? Or is it just somebody who's going to sit in the 15th spot and just kind of, you know, stay on the bench the entire season? Yeah, which is essentially Jamal Crawford would barely play. Vince Carter, yeah. I think, would have a very similar Jared Dudley role where I think he can still play and provide. I think that in his last season, he's going to be wanting to get out on the court. Um, he, he's going to want to, you know, put the uniform on and, and suit up. Quinn Cook can certainly provide something with his three-point shooting as well and his established relationship, uh, like you mentioned, uh, with Kevin Durant. So I think that that's uh, one thing to sort of look at. You know, it, it, are the Nets still one move away? 
Uh, what do they do uh, with Jalen Hands? Do they put him on a two-way? What do they do with Nick Claxton? Is, is he on the roster? Um, how is his summer league? Does that affect his contractual status? Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, what uh, Sean Marks does going forward because he's had probably the best off-season of any GM so far. Uh, can he just finish it off uh, and hit that sort of that, that, that single that we sort of need to, to fill everything out? And I think you could look at it this way, too, is there's no guarantee the Nets actually need a third point guard because, guys, we mentioned, we know Karis LeVert can run the point. We know Musa can run the point. We know Theo Pinson can run the point. So they kind of have options where they go with that last veteran as well. Uh, D-Box made a good point. Vince Carter and Rodion Skorup's in the same locker room. They almost fought. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be okay. I mean, I think that was just – we were there. We saw that. That was great. Yeah. Um, that it, it'll kind of wash over. I'm sure it's no bad blood. It was – Vince was pretty pissed. He got elbowed in the head. I think most people would be at that time too. Yeah, I think he was a little bit annoyed. No one likes getting hit in the head. Uh, speaking of D-Rock, um, changing tap to Kyrie Irving. When Kyrie Irving played for Cleveland, which player stood out the most as his number two? Crimson striker uh, says Dion Waiters. I think I would probably jump on the bandwagon and say Dion Waiters too. Oh, like who was his second best player that he played with when he was in Cleveland? Yeah. Yeah, obviously other than LeBron James. Um, yeah, Dion probably sticks out. I mean, that like just – whole like period of time just kind of it's like a wash in my brain I don't really think about that Cleveland team much um yeah I would probably go I guess with Deion Waiters because I remember when LeBron first time people were like yo this backcourt's gonna be so crazy Kyrie and Deion and then look at Deion Waiters now yeah I think that because neither of those guys played any defense at the time uh, and I think all of them both of them were trying to establish themselves as players uh in this league you know you want to get your own you want to put up your numbers Whereas now, obviously, Kyrie has established himself. But I think he still has something to prove. Uh, and playing alongside Karis LeVert, uh, you know, we heard about, you know, the fact that they were... Where were they partying? What was that club again? Uh, I forget. We're obviously not city boys. The 100 <laughs> club. I mean, I wish I was a city boy. I mean, if, if the buzz gets big enough, homies, we'll, we'll be city boys. Don't worry about that. Yeah, we'll make uh, sure we're at the same clubs as Kyrie and Karis. We'll send you some picks. <laughs> we will literally be TMZ uh, underhand <laughs> sort of dudes when it comes to that sort of stuff. But... That, that just bodes well. You know, you, you talk about the sort of the, the forming the relationships. You know, I think that Jalen Brown and Kyrie Irving had a really, I don't want to say fractured, but I think tested because I think that their relation, their their viewpoints and, and their personalities just clashed. Um, and and some, sometimes that just happens in NBA locker rooms. Whereas I think Karis Avert being that sort of, you know, really sweet guy, uh, I think he gets along with absolutely everyone, your guy, Nick. Uh, and Kyrie Irving, you know, developing that, that relationship of the court was something that we saw Jared Dudley really establish and, and the guys really establish, uh, and, and it translated to on-court success. So, uh, And we also heard about you know, Joe Harris uh, on the radio saying that you know, there was a, a little bit of a party at the, at the training center out in Brooklyn as well. So these are, all these little things uh, are really positive signs at such an early point. It doesn't mean anything. But, you know, you'd rather hear about these sort of things than already, like, locker room infights and Kyrie doesn't like Karis or, you know, DeAndre Jordan wants Jared Allen shipped out or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think you look at it as a positive. Like, you can say it's not a negative, that's for sure. So, I think the fact is there was already reports that Karis over and Kyrie were at a club earlier before free agency started, and that's when, like, the real recruiting started and talk about him coming to the Nets. Obviously, both part of Rock Nation. I think it's a positive. And you make the argument that probably going to the season, you know, minus the new signings, like if you just looked at the team, the two leaders on the team are probably Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. And both already have a relationship with Kyrie Irving, at least from what it seems. We know Spencer had a a big part in recruiting him here. So I think it does look like a positive. And I love the story from Joe. Like they're already celebrating at six o'clock 
at the Brooklyn facility, you know, with the front office, the coaching staff, Joe Harris was there. I know Spencer Dooney was there. I would assume Karras was there. KD was there. Kyrie was there. DeAndre Jordan was there. Like they had some pizza. They had some champagne. Hey, it seems like a good way to start a relationship. It really does. Uh, and speaking of that relationship, Crimson Striker said, well, Laverne and Kyrie do okay as a backcourt, by the way. It never seemed like Karras and D'Lo had enough time to gel. Do their play styles mesh well enough? I think so. I honestly think that they'll be one of the best backcourts in the Eastern Conference by the end of the season. Both guys, you know, we know Kyrie's an established all-star. Karras looked like he was ready to be an all-star player last season. And I think areas that Kyrie might not be necessarily as good, and especially defensively, Karras can take on a bigger load in that area. And then it's going to you know, give Karras plenty of room to operate because I think Kyrie draws more attention to D'Angelo Russell as good as D'Lo was last year. He's not Kyrie Irving. And I think also it's just like Kyrie's going to be able to drive and kick and then uh, Karras is going to be able to drive off of that or shoot. Obviously a big part of it is going to be Karras improving his three-point shot. Yeah, I think that that's a, a really important part. And he started to sort of get that back a little bit. You know, his mechanics looked a lot better after a few games coming back from that injury. Um, and his postseason uh, was incredibly, he was our best player in the postseason uh, quite considerably, you know, despite some moments from, you know, DeAndre Russell and Spencer Dimity here and there. But uh, speaking of DeAndre Russell, Jorge VV Rod has jumped in again. I know Kyrie is a great point guard, but what do you think about losing Dealer? We spoke about it a little bit, but. Um, I guess we have to rehash the, the sadness of losing my boy and uh, the, the, another one, strike three, um, the one T-shirt jerseys. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, it's sad because you develop an emotional connection with a player, especially when a young guy comes over. He, he hasn't lived up to the hype of being a number two pick, and then he comes here, he develops, and he starts to live up to that hype. He comes an all-star, the first all-star for the franchise in a while, carries the load when guys are injured. But I think it's also like, you have to be objective in the perspective of Kyrie Irving is substantially better than D'Angelo Russell. And then the peak of D'Angelo Russell is probably where Kyrie Irving's at. So you're just taking the safer bet, grabbing Kyrie. Where, you know, we talked to Corey on the outlet, and I thought he brought up a great point. He's done it in the past. You know, this could be peak D'Angelo Russell. Like, there's a chance that this might be the best that he can be. Obviously, I think he'll improve. I'm happy for him because he got his max contract and he's going to be with a one organization. Yeah, I think that it would have been a bit bittersweet if we had lost D'Lo. Um, to, to in restricted free agency to another team, and he, he might not have got the, the large offer sheet, but I think that it's almost worked out the best for both parties. Um, you know, I don't think that it was ever going to work between you know Kyrie and Zelo at the same time, uh, and you get Kevin Durant, you know, as a package deal. That's what we've wanted all along. That was the, the number one scenario outside of probably Kyrie and Kawhi. So losing Zelo, it hurts a little bit, um, because you know, he built up so much goodwill. Uh, with the organization and the fan base, uh, you know, he's a homegrown sort of star. We developed him uh, inboard. Uh, but if he continues to be coached well, which he will be under the tutelage uh, of Steve Kerr, then he's going to be just fine. Um, I think you can really learn a lot from Steph Curry, too. And we've talked about this before on air and off air. There's a little bit of Steph in D'Angelo's game. And I think D'Angelo's even mentioned in the past that he kind of, you know, framed some of his game after uh, Steph Curry. So I think there's a real lot of potential there. Yeah, I think that there is, too. And, and speaking of Crimson Strikers jumped in. Between him and Steph, I hear Steve Kerr is tweaking the roster and play style, according to Bill Simmons, to go more pick and roll, run and gun, Dan Tony style to just outscore teams. Do you think that'll benefit him and think it'll work? I think the Willie Colley Stein signing makes that seem more believable because that's his best role as a rim roller. And I think also Willie Colley Stein, not to get off topic, could really develop defensively with a guy like Draymond Green because there was major hype for him coming out of the draft. But I do. I think Steve Kerr's a smart coach and he's going to realize without Clay, their offense has to change. 
But D'Angelo's also could be in a different role that could benefit him as well, running some of those warrior sets. Yeah, I think that we saw, you know, how good D'Angelo Russell has been in the pick and roll. And with a guy with the verticality, vertical spacing of a guy like um, of a guy like Wally Colley Stein. And your know, Draymond Green is another ball handler as well. And he loves to sort of dump it down to those big guys. And you know, D'Angelo will have I think D'Angelo Russell will have more space and more open shots when you have someone with the greatest gravity in the history of the game in Stephen yeah. Curry. So I think that D'Angelo Russell will probably might see a, take a step forward if he is used correctly. And Steve Kerr is one of the best coaches in the league. Um, you know, he revolutionized how basketball was played in Golden State. And I think that that's going to not, it's going to only benefit D'Angelo Russell going forward because, um, you know, if you had to put him in Minnesota, yeah, I think it would have benefited him too because it would have, you know, the, the, the personal chemistry he has with, uh, his boy Carl Anthony Towns, but you know he's the he's the number one guy on that sort of roster in that backcourt, so he draws all the attention. So he has to create for himself that little bit more. Those, those catch and shoot shots certainly aren't going to be there as much. Uh, but alongside Stephen Curry, even if he's just there for a few months, you know he's going to benefit just from being with them and being in their presence. So D'Angelo Russell is going to learn plenty and, and continue to grow as a basketballer and player. Championship atmosphere is just going to help him. Like that's a winning organization. Not to saying that the Nets don't want to get to that point, but they haven't been there yet. So I think it's going to be big for him. I'm excited to see how that rolls out. Obviously, one of the most surprising moves of free agency. Yeah, it was it was a shock, but um, a pleasant shock. Anything else in the chat, Jack? Or you want to touch on some of that Bradley Beal uh, chatter? Yeah, I guess we can touch on the Bradley Beal chatter. Um, I saw this when I was watching some stuff on the Ringers YouTube page. Um, obviously, subscribe to, to our one first, um, off the glass. You know, we're, we're growing here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but it seemed to me that, like, the, the crux of a trade, you know, it's built on if you can get three stars, you know, Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, um, and uh, Bradley Beal, uh, that makes you a championship contender because you have those three guys and then, you know, if you trade away Karasavert, Jared Allen, uh, you've still got the likes of Torian Prince and these other sort of, uh, the the likes of these other sort of guys to sort of back up. Um, I don't think that it is likely in, in any sense um, until we see Kevin Durant fully healthy on the court. It would be an unnecessary risk to trade for it, despite the fact that if you have Kyrie Irving and Bradley Beal, that is quite easily the, the best backcourt in the league. Uh, hands down, uh, maybe with Stephen Clay at their fittest, that's probably uh, number one too. But um, Bradley Beal is is, an, uh, is a superstar. He's an All NBA caliber player. Um, and but I think that if you're the Washington Wizards from their standpoint, to maintain some sort of relevancy, I've sort of said this. You need to have some sort of guy to sort of market. And without Bradley Beal. They literally have nothing there. What Isaiah Thomas is going to be your franchise guy that you put on the billboards and the posters. Um, I'm not sure how much tickets that sells. Uh, and Verizon Center being there myself, the, the atmosphere is, is certainly uh, tempered com- in, compa- compared to Air Canada Center, MSG and Barclays Center. So, I mean, while it makes sense uh, on paper for, for both sides because you would get a nice package in return if you are uh, the Washington Wizards, I think that it's a it's a possibility that we can probably explore uh, with a little more credence in 2020, 2021. Yeah, I think it almost doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense for the Nets unless they're getting some steal because I think having the depth around Kyrie and Katie, you already have your two superstars, and then you have the potential of Karis becoming that all-star, and the, even there's still some potential of Jared Allen becoming an all-star or you know a top-10 center. So I think it's like, do you pull the trigger on that move and then ruin your depth? 
saw what happens when you go with this star heavy lineup just happens to Bradley, I think he's a great player, but I where the Nets are at right now, if they had like a surplus of first round picks to just throw away, I think they have eight first round picks in the next seven years. So it's not like they have that many extra. I think you're almost better off keeping what you have and rolling forward with that because you also have the possibility of these guys improving and they're a little bit younger. And then they're going to kind of carry you along as Kyrie and Katie age, unless it was like some type of steel deal. I don't think I necessarily would pull the trigger on it. Obviously, the best shooting guard in the league, but I think you you probably don't pull that trigger. Yeah, I think that it, it makes sense to probably not do it. Um, Jorge Verod has said, can Levert become the Bradley Beal type player where we need the sort of second star, or is that asking too much too soon? I think his best role, we talked about it, is the third star on the team. You know, he doesn't have to necessarily get to the Bradley Beal level. He has to be more of a complementary third player where – he doesn't necessarily need as many touches. You know, Bradley Beal's best season just came because John Wall is out and it's a high volume amount of touches, high usage rate. He's running the show in Washington. We don't know how he would fit as a third wheel, and he definitely would be the third wheel between behind Kyrie and KD. I think it's uh, Karis LeVert would be more accepting as that third, uh, third person role. And then we also talked about the Nets franchise just loving Karis LeVert and him being a positive uh, energy in the locker room as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I probably vibe with all that. I don't think he's got, he's got the ceiling of Bradley Beal right now, but I think he has a greater two-way potential um, than Bradley Beal does. But uh, just to reiterate, Nick, who will start at power forward for the Brooklyn Nets this year? Louis Torres has asked. Yeah, we said what? Torian, we'll probably roll with Torian Prince as of right now, but if Rodion's has an amazing training camp, he could easily start. You know, I wouldn't put it past him as well. Yep. I think that, you know, we saw Rodion start for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, in plenty of games as well. You know, Jared Dudley, I think, was best uh, served there for, for a lot of games as well in the playoffs. But, you know, Rodion's is only going to improve. Um, you know, that's the worst version of Rodion's that we saw this season in his first season. You know, uh, obviously there is growing pains. And in the sophomore season, you don't necessarily get the best season out of players, a la Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. Uh, but I think with the lesser role that Rodion's will have to play, we should see him grow. And I think the fact is we got to bring up that he didn't play a ton of basketball the years prior because of the whole situation of him wanting to come to the NBA, Barcelona not playing him with their, their big league team, shifting him down, him just getting minutes. And I think that's why he's playing in summer league is so he can get more reps out there. And I think a lot, like we see the physical tools of Rodion's and the skill set and the smooth game. I think a lot of it's just the mental side, and that's just going to come with more reps on the court. And having two great basketball minds around him now and Kyrie and KD should only benefit him more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last one I wanted to throw at you, Nick, is uh, this was sort of making the rounds that I think that uh, was really positive. You know, Iron Eagle, when he was on the Rich Eisen show, said that Kyrie personally reached out to him to chat about the Jason Kidd era Nets. Kyrie, I really loved that team. What were your thoughts on that hearing that uh, our boy Kyrie reached out to the GOAT himself? Yeah, I actually listened to that podcast. Rich Eisen didn't really show much love for the Nets. It was pretty bad on that part. But uh, Iron Eagle, obviously one of the best, you, know, you can learn from him even from as a podcasting perspective because he's just so well with words. But uh, I really enjoyed that. And that's not something that was a surprise to me because I remember Kyrie hosted a high school event at Barclays Center. And it was a lot of talk on that event because he was on air for like a couple of minutes talking about how he loved the New Jersey Nets and Jason Kidd. So, you know, he's loved the Nets organization for a while. And I think a lot of people try to throw that under the rug with all the Knicks hype. Yeah, I think that, you know, he was a, a really passionate Nets fan, obviously living in New Jersey. And the fact that he's already, you know, developing relationship with, with some of the 
the media in Brooklyn uh, is a positive sign because uh, we sort of heard and we already don't really we already know that you know Kyrie didn't like Boston. I, I'm pretty sure. Other than, you know, Jackie McMullen, he didn't have the, the best relationship with the Boston media either. He certainly was quite frosty to them. But I think that when you are happy, just as a, just a, a little side tangent, when you are at your happiest in whatever environment you're in, you generally produce, you know, greater, you know, output and greater workload uh, in that sort of sense. And I think that that goes under the radar a little bit. So if we see a happy Kyrie Irving for this season, despite the fact that he got his opportunity to lead a team in Boston, he wasn't happy for many parts or if at all last season. So if we see a, a happy Kyrie, this sort of Nets roster is similar to what the Boston Celtics sort of had. I don't think they have an Al Horford, but there's enough depth and talent there that we could see them grow and be a really sort of exciting team. Yeah, and I think playing at home, being close to your family, we know family is very important to him from his Instagram post to the commercial with his dad and all stuff like that. So I think that just improves your mood. And like, you know, it's been pointed out, Will brought this up in his piece he did about Kyrie that's up on OTGBasketball.com, that Kyrie got to choose where he's playing. This is the first time where it's like, all right, I wanted to play in Brooklyn. It's my choice. I'm going here. So I think that kind of brings some positivity as well. Yeah, you can't you can't knock back three, Will, for sure. And I think also, like, from the Boston perspective, and this isn't just me, this is just throwing it out there. It's like maybe some of the guys just weren't accepting as Kyrie of the leader because they just had a successful season without him and him trying to come in and run the show rubbed them the wrong way. You mentioned Jalen Brown has different perspectives on things. It wouldn't surprise me if he kind of like pushed back at Kyrie trying to take some of the leadership. That's fair. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with that. But, you know, it's always rosy in July. Uh, we'll see how it is in, in the doldrums of the season in January and February. 100%. And I think the two positives too is he has two friends already on the roster and maybe – Two more, possibly, with Spencer doing and Karis LeVert. But, Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, no, nah, nothing. But I'm sure there'll be something else to pop up that we can uh, smash another buzz out very, very soon. Yes, we possibly have a special guest coming on on Friday's show. So keep an eye out for that. It'll probably be around 7 o'clock on Friday night. Bang. But that wraps it up. As always, thank everybody for checking us out. iTunes, Block Talk Radio, GGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, YouTube. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.